Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. From the Financial Times in London, this is Hard Currency. I'm Katie Martin and I'm joined by Simon Derrick from BMY Mellon. Simon, it feels like things are really not going to plan in the FX markets at the moment with the yen, with the euro, with kind of with anything, really. Yeah. If you look at everybody's predictions at the start of the year, it would have been a stronger dollar, a weaker yen, a weaker euro, oil prices would be going down, China would be in deep trouble. And the Fed was going to hype four times. Yeah, so, so that's all gone pretty well. Uh, yeah. What happened next? <laughs> <laughs> so looking at the yen, I mean, just just this week it's gone it's gone crazy. It feels like the wheels mm. have come off dollar yen. It feels like there's no floor. How far are we going to get? And why on earth is the currency doing this, given that Japan does have negative rates now? Right. So there's a whole raft of history that goes behind this. And there's uh, the fact that, obviously, there is a whole raft of political history behind this. But in a nutshell, the Bank of Japan was too slow to react last November when everybody else was getting to ease policy and disinflationary pressures were starting to build. They made the move in January that was seen as being really too little mm. and, and really only out the margins of what they were doing. But, of course, there was also the fact there was a huge amount of criticism of the Bank of Japan for what it had done at the G20 meeting. At least that was the implication of what came out. It was the suggestion that Japan was trying to manipulate its currency by going for a negative deposit rate. Therefore, the market believes there isn't a lot of space for Japan to cut rates further because it will be seen as manipulating the currency. And at the same time, we have a Fed that's gone from hiking rates four times this year to two if we're lucky. So mm. in effect, the yield, expected yield differential has shrunk sharply. How come it's OK for the ECB and not for the BOJ? I mean, or are negative rates generally frowned upon? I think, I think it's past history. I mean, right. the, you know, the ECB has, has never intervened actively to manage its currency. You'd have to go back 20 years for the Bundesbank to be intervening. If you think about the Bank of Japan, I think I worked out that since mid-93, they have on average intervened once out of every 20 trading days in dollar-yen. And that there's been this long history of the US and Japan accusing each other of currency manipulation. Mm. So I think that's the difference. The scary bit for the Ministry of Finance is that we've been here three or four times before. We've had these moves down from 120, and almost always they end up going to 100, and on yeah. a couple of occasions got a lot further. And, of course, over the course of the last 14 years, at least, there's been a high correlation between the performance of the yen and weakness in Japanese stocks. So if you don't do anything now to break this, you're in real trouble with the stock market and abonomics just goes up in a puff of smoke. Now then, so the dollar's down at 108 or thereabouts now, and the smoke signals from Tokyo are kind of getting louder, if smoke can be loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're watching. They're watching with vigilance. They are, you know, sniffing around the market to see where rates are. If we are playing Bank of Japan bingo in terms of the catchphrases that they use what are the key phrases for you right so 
the key here is you have to go back to G7, G8, G20 meetings. And there was a, a if you go back, you know, 2003, 2004, there was a lot of uh, debate over what should be in there. The key addition was the phrase excess volatility uh-huh. and disorderly market moves. That was brought in in February of 2004 on the insistence of Japan. If you go back to the intervention in October 2011, that was exactly the phrase they used, excessive moves to uh, uh, justify the intervention that took place. And it was one-off intervention, so it couldn't be claimed to be active manipulation. The other phrase they've used, if you go back to September 2010, August 2011, they used one-sided moves. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting was they were using exactly the same phrase this morning. We heard that from the Cabinet Secretary Suga. We heard it from an unnamed Minister Finance official. But the fact of the matter is, when you hear that, that's probably as clear a signal as you can possibly get, that they're getting ready to make a move. So your only question is, if they do make the move... How are they going to do it? Is this going to be stealth intervention like it was in the uh, the early noughties, or is it going to be shock and awe? And I'd suggest that if you're going to do anything, it's either go big or go home. You've got mm. to you've got to intervene in size so the market's sufficiently shocked that you don't keep having to come in every single day. And if your argument is you're trying to break one-sided moves, one big intervention creating two-way risk. Mm is probably reasonably justifiable in the eyes of G20, whereas if you're in all the time, it does look like currency manipulation. Because there is a big sort of signalling effect here. It's about a statement of intent. But do you think there is a line in the sand? I mean, no one really believes the whole volatility thing, right? There's there's a point at which the sense of humour runs out. Well, I think that's actually exactly the point. If you look back, there's actually no proof whatsoever that the, <laughs> that the intervention's actually ever been on high volatility. If you look at 10, 2010, 2011, the days before the intervention was some of the quietest they've been in dollar yen for, for years. So volatility isn't what we would consider volatility. If you look, almost always is about breaking to a new high in the trend for yen. That seems to be their definition of excessive volatility and the emphasis is on excessive not on volatility i think the very fact that we've gone through 110 like a, a knife through butter over the course of the uh, this week i think is key that is i, I would suggest you know, particularly on thursday we've had a one and a half percent move in dollar yen that's going to be the signal for them and the real question you've got to ask is why would they wait Mm. Yes, they can get to 105, 104, 103, maybe get the market a little more stretched. But think of the damage that will do to the local equity markets. Mm. You're never going to stop a move in the yen, but maybe you can slow it. And better to slow it at these kinds of levels than 5 6% lower than we are today. But waste of time. I mean, what if, what if the Fed doesn't raise rates at all for the rest of this year? What if it gets more nervous, you know? It's difficult to determine how much of it is yen and how much of it is dollar at play here. Well, I I, I think that's a, a critical point. I mean, I do think it's about it is about the dollar more than anything else, um, and I do think that you go back to a Fed in this position in December and a Fed where it was at the start of March, and they're two very different animals. And the Fed minutes really highlighted that. I think the key to understanding what the Fed's doing is this emphasis on international markets and on the strength of the dollar. Mm. And if you go back to January, where were the big problems in markets? It was about China. And why was China under so much pressure? Actually, it was about dollar strength indirectly. It was the flow out of the reserves. And it was about oil prices collapsing. And then 
oil prices have been an almost perfect mirror of the dollar's performance over the course of the last 10 years or so. So the Fed backing off, that took pressure off China. You can see the latest FX reserve numbers for China show that. It took the pressure off the oil price. And yes, oil price is a little weaker than it was a, a week or so ago, but that's in the face of some fairly serious provocation. We're still trading in the mid-30s rather than $25 a barrel. Yeah. So the Fed, by making that move, has, has, has helped take the pressure off markets. The problem is you end up with a Fed that, it looks as though it's, if not exactly a global bank, it suddenly becomes the central bank of the US and, and Asia, which yeah. looks really quite remarkable. I mean, is that a world they really want to be in? Yeah, no pressure or anything, I guess. I mean, you know, along those lines, the flip side of what the Fed is doing, or more to the point isn't doing, is that Eurodollar also is having... A tremendous run. This has got to be annoying the living daylights out of the European Central Bank, who, you know, are taking to the wires, you know, making speeches pretty much every day, saying that whole thing about how Mario Draghi said that we we're done cutting rates at the moment. It doesn't mean we can't still do it. This has got to be annoying them, right? Well, I think more than annoying them, it must be shocking them. I, I mean, the, the, the ECB. If you think back, you know, to the summer of 2014 when they they first cut for a negative deposit rate, they must have thought this is fantastic. <laughs> We're going to end up with a little more market volatility. That's no bad thing, mission but nothing mission right? accomplished, and you end up with a weaker euro. Think about the story of the last 15 months. Every single time the ECB has made a move, you've had ever-increasing levels of volatility in euro dollar, which is not what you want as a central banker. You're supposed to be boring, not causing massive <laughs> volatility. And the currency has done nothing but strengthen. The euro is as strong today against the dollar as it was in January of 2015, ahead of the DCB introducing quantitative easing. So basically, good job. Well done. <laughs> Um, one last thing that is stubbornly not boring is sterling. Are we close to hedging in, you know, pricing in disaster yet? Or, you know, it just strikes me that sterling volatility has got absolutely out of control. Right. So are we are we pricing in an extraordinary event? Yes, is the simple answer to that. If you look at three month implied volatility at the money options so hedging just whatever currency risk you want uh, the prices there are right back this against the dollar are right back up to where you would have been in may of 2010 at the time of the coalition and prior to that you'd have been talking about 2008 we did get higher i think we got above 20 percent for three month options the premium people are prepared to pay for sterling puts uh, against the dollar and the euro is getting to historically high levels. And there's only one day when, when we've seen that uh, at high levels. So the simple fact of the matter is, yes, the market is pricing in the possibility of an extreme move in the aftermath of June 23rd. Interesting bit is it isn't quite pricing that in beforehand because you haven't seen the same kind of moves in the one-month and two-month options. So this is very much about specific risk beforehand. Interesting bit, of course, is that you know certainly we're against the dollar right now. We're getting to some very interesting levels. So I think the lowest close we've had post-1985 is I think in the region of 137.5. And, and we have traded down briefly below 135. But in terms of closing prices, we're not a million miles away. And who knows what happens next. But it, there certainly there's a lot of open ground below 135. Should we ever get there? 
Fun times. Indeed. That's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. Stay informed on ft.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flash markets.